Hey, hi. Before I get to that, did you want to share something? On the drive over here, you felt you had a, a word of knowledge for somebody. I think it would be good to release. Uh, so you need a microphone. Um, we were we were just worshiping, and I just I just suddenly heard the Lord say that He was um, He was releasing His presence in such a tangible way, uh, and it was to someone in particular. And He said that um, they have um, English is not your first language, and and in actuality, um, you don't even like English, but it became so important for you to have English, but you've resented it, actually. And so you've had struggle with it. And there's been a blockage there. And he said, as you um, just, um, you know, it's, it's almost like you're, you're saying, I forgive, but I'm not quite sure how to unpack that. But you're, you're, you're giving it to the Lord. You're, you're just saying, you know, I've, I've resented it, and I, I'm breaking agreement with resentment. And I just felt like he's going to empower you uh, in your language skills as a result of you honoring his presence, his, the conviction that's there. Does that, does that mean anything to anybody? Nobody's going to own up to that one anyway. So anyway, I'm going to pray that because I, I felt like he said that you're going to go to another level of being able to comprehend language. And it's not just the words, um, but there's going to be, you're going to grasp concepts and be able to talk about things. So Father, we just, um, we just present our hearts back to you. And Lord, in the area of language and having to learn things that we don't even want to, Lord, we repent of resentment and we break agreement with resentment right now. And Lord, we, we ask that um, love would be our first language uh, and commitment to you and your processes in our lives. Lord, we, uh, one of his promises was he was going to uh, elevate our awareness of his presence. So Lord, as, as we embrace this in our lives. We ask, Lord, that you release your presence. Let your goodness, let your favor rest on um, the language and the disciplines that are in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, my darling. Thank you. Um, all right, so what we're doing today is the, the third in a series on our emphases for 2020, which as we found out last week, is not, is not just going to be our emphasis for 2020, but it's going to be from this point going forward. We're, 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 we're latching on to uh, who we really are called to be as a congregation, as a church. And so um, we're talk, we, we spoke about connection at the very end of December. We talked about how God is really, like all these things we're doing already as a, as a church, we're just um, being more intentional. We're saying this is who we are. We're going, we're going for these things. So connection, connection with God. We're going to go deeper with God, and we're going to go deeper with each other. And as a congregation, we're trying our best to create avenues and ways for us to connect better with each other. 
uh, we can lead the horse to water, but we can make the horse drink. Um, but we have things like cell groups, we have communion every Sunday, we have potlucks. All right, we have a whole bunch of things that we keep on trying to do so that you as a congregation would, would uh, discover the joy of knowing each other in a, in a meaningful, deeper, more profound way. I, I shared a story of this thing I watched on a, 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 a TED talk, uh, this study done in Harvard, um, and the short story is that they discovered after 75 years of studying a bunch of people that the real secret to happiness it wasn't money or fame or working hard and accomplishing goals. Those are all good things, but the secret to having a good life, a happy, a happy, contented life, was having meaningful relationships with people. It doesn't have to be a lot. You, you find a couple of people, two or three people, that you can have really heart, uh, deep heart connected relationships with, where you're vulnerable, where you're open, and where you're share, sharing uh, really who you are. And, and that, in that study, they showed that to be true. And we could have told them they could have saved their money and their time and their energy by just opening up the scriptures and discovering that God is a God of relationship. But anyway, so that's connection. And then last week we spoke about equipping. Uh, we, this is a church that we, uh, we want you to be equipped. Uh, uh, we're not the kind of church where the pastor or pastors or even a pastoral team are meant to do uh, all the stuff, right? Some people come from the, from the background where, oh, we give our tithes and offerings, so we, we're paying the pastor to do the work for us. Uh, that's not how it works at this church. Because we follow things like Ephesians 4, which says that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to do all of the work so you guys can watch us do it. He gave, he gave those gifts so that we would equip the saints. That's you people. You're the saints. Even though you may not always feel it or even look it, you are the saints. And we're, our job is to equip you guys to do the work of ministry. And the end result, the end goal, is that the entire body, Paul says, the entire body will grow up into a place of maturity and in the knowledge of Christ so that uh, um, we would, with the, in, in whole measure, whole measure, he says. So we would really um, exemplify who Jesus is and represent who Jesus is um, to the world because we really are his body. We are his body. He's the head, we're his body. We're the he's the invisible head, we are the visible body. And we get to represent who Jesus is in every way, in signs, wonders, miracles, the way he lived his life, the way he lived his life in, in obedience to the Father, in faith, all those things. So that's equipping. And then today we're going to be talking a little bit about outreach. And I'm so, so, so happy as I was thinking about this, because, in, because for me in, in, in the past, um, and here's some honesty here for you, in the past, when I would talk about outreach and evangelism and the importance of all these things, it, it felt like I was pushing water up a hill with a rake. I felt like there was a resistance. But, but here's the good news. I don't feel that anymore. I feel that we're, we're actually moving. We're actually moving as, as, as a body. More and more are catching on to this, uh, this revelationist idea that we're meant to be here to influence people 
in our spheres of influence with the good news, the good news of who Jesus is. And we get to represent as our hearts get healed, as we get to walk in greater sense of victory and freedom and, and all the good stuff that Jesus made available to us, as we walk in those things, we get to represent who Jesus is to a dying and lost world. Because here's the news, everybody. Here's the news. The lost are really lost. The lost are really lost. If you read the scriptures, that's the, as far as I'm concerned, that's the only conclusion you could come to. If God in his wider mercy does things, that's fine. But as far as I can read in this, in this, in this book, uh, 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 Jesus is the way to the Father. Amen. Amen? I want to share with you guys a bit of a, my personal story. Some of you may have heard bits and pieces of it. But I want to share this part of my story with you this morning. This Bible in my hand is my father's Bible. It's a King James Version Bible. All right, so it should be in a it should be in a museum somewhere, gathering dust. But anyway, it's a King James Bible that uh, I, God spoke to me profoundly uh, when I was 14 years old, when I was when I was when I was first discovering who Jesus was. Um, I had come away to, to to Canada to visit my sister, and uh, when my mother my birthday is in August, so my mother gave me. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita to read when I was 14 as a birthday gift. And so I read the, the Bhagavad Gita and uh, thought of, you know, interesting stories, lots of mythology and cool stories. But for no, at no point in time did I think, oh my gosh, I can really latch on to this. This can be what I want to live my life for. In September, I come back home from, from being overseas. Back home at that time was Guyana. I'm home, I go back to school, and my friend, Jonathan Muir, who had been, been a wild and crazy guy, party guy, over the summer he'd become a Christian. And so he was inviting everybody now to um, you know, come to this meeting on Monday after, after school to hear more about Jesus. So I, I went, because he was my friend, I went and I listened to what they had to say, and it was very interesting. Um, so I, I don't know exactly when, but soon afterwards, maybe a couple of weeks afterwards, I, I, uh, because they said that God was real, he was active, he's doing things, and so all the shaking they were doing wasn't just their own emotional stuff, it was the spirit of God moving. Because there was a lot of shaking, and, and, and people would shake, and they would laugh, and they would cry. The stuff that we saw at the airport was happening in my little group back in 1970-something, um, you know, back there. It was happening in their midst because the power of the Holy Spirit was moving. And so I was, so they said, this is, this is God at work. So I came home, and they said, you know, God can speak to you through the Bible. God speaks to us through the Bible. And so I went to my father's thing, and I pulled it off the shelf, and I listened to the story, everybody. You ready? I took this Bible. I don't necessarily recommend you do this, but here's what I did. I said, these guys, I said, God, if you're there, all right? Remember, I'm a Hindu, Okay. I'm a Hindu. God, if you're there, uh, and, these guys, and if these guys are, if you're true, based on what these guys are saying, uh, you can speak to me in this book. And I open up the Bible. I open up the Bible. Okay, I put an, I put an envelope to get to the point, but, but the, the envelope wasn't there. I don't want to lose my spot because it's hard to find. It's <laughs> tiny writing. Anyway, I open up the Bible. And it landed 
it sort of makes sense. If you're, if you're skeptical, okay, if you're skeptical, you can say, well, it's just the middle of the book. But that's my skeptical part. At least I'm skeptical. Anyway, I opened up the thing, and it landed on uh, Isaiah 45, verses 4 and 5. You know what it says? Here's what it says. I'll, re I'll read it to you in the King James, and then I'll, I think I have it up on the screen in a more contemporary language version. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. See, it doesn't make as much impact as it did on me, but I'll tell you why it made an impact on me. I have called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Verse 5, I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. I gird, I girded thee. I think I have to go look in the dictionary. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. And verse 6, just for the fun of it, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is, no, there is none beside me. I am the Lord, there is none else. That is what the Lord spoke to me when I opened up the Bible and says, God, if you're real, if you're as real as these guys are talking about, can you speak to me? I opened up my Bible and that's what I read. And those words leapt off the page and hit me squarely in the eyes. I'll tell you why, because you don't get it. Because none of you are, you're all mostly Christians. For a guy who, who thinks, who was taught that God is an impersonal force, that there's no personality to God, he's just a life force, he or she or whatever, it's a life force. To know that this God says, I think I have it up on the screen here, that this God says, I have even called you by your name. I have called you by your name. What does that mean? It means that God knows stuff, that God is smart, that God knows things. Which, If God knows things, it means he has a personality. He's not just the universe. You watch the TV shows these days, you watch the movies, and the universe is telling me this, and the universe is telling me that. Well, the, the God who is revealed in the Bible is a God who is real, and he's personal, and he knows things. He knows me. He says, he even called you. I have named you, though you have not known me. I have named you. There was a time when I was, I was thinking what I should change my name from, this wonderful name, Ramesh, to something more, you know, godly or bibly or whatever. But I, I can't because it says there, I, not, not that I can't. I even tried when I went to Katrina. Too many details. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Everybody I hope you, you begin to see how this is really something. This God is something else, man. Well, just take a minute on this verse here. I have called you by your name, which means that God is personal, everybody. If he's personal, if he's made us, if, if he's created us, we are actually accountable to him. You see? 
that's the deal, that's the deal when the other people say that God, you know, the universe is doing this, the universe is that. It means that the universe has no personality. We're not accountable to this universe. But the God who's revealed in the Bible tells us that he's the creator. And this creator is the God who made us. And because he made us, he has dibs on our lives. And we're accountable to him. That's the big deal. We're accountable to him. The Bible says that at the end of, at the end of, at the end of your life and at the end of this universe, uh, this world, at some point in the future, God is going to, Jesus is going to pull the plug on this whole machine, okay? He's going to pull the plug. He's going to set up his white throne judgment and all the people who's, who, who ever lived will stand before him and they will get to decide whether they spend eternity with him or not. That's what the Bible teaches. There are two, basically two there are fundamentally two kinds of people in the world. There are those people who have said yes to Jesus and we're living Jesus-centric life. We're lives that are led by Jesus. We do it falteringly. We do it with, 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 with faults. We do it with, with weakness, but we're following Jesus. Our lives, he becomes the leader of our, of our lives. And we're following him. The rest of the people in the world, whether you lived 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, whether you're a pygmy in the middle of Central Africa, whether you're downtown Toronto, whether you're, you don't like English or not like English, whether you're French or you're, whatever it is, wherever you come from, you are living a, a self-centered life. Two, two kinds of people in the world. Those who are following Jesus, stumblingly, and there's those who are following their own life, their, their self-directed lives. And the Bible tells me that those people who are following, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a, a church-going Christian, if you are living a self-directed life, well, then you get to live a self-directed life into, in, in eternity. If you follow Jesus, you get to be with him. That's his promise. You get to be with me now and forevermore. Amen? Preaching mostly to the choir, I know. I have named you even though you have not known me. I have named you. God knows me. God knows me. In his wisdom and in his incredible capacity, uh, he named me Ramesh Isaac Narain. What a gorgeous name. He named me. He knows me. And here's the deal. Here's why I'm bringing that up as a point. Because I know in this room, uh, there, there may be people, even though you may be a Christian, even though you, you read the Bible, even though you, you're filled with the Spirit, there are still people who struggle with the truth that God, does God really know me? Does God really know the struggle I'm going through right now? I just got a divorce, man. I just lost my job. My wife just walked out the door. Uh, you know, I'm in crisis. My health is falling apart. You know, there's all these things wrong with the world. Trump is a president, and Trudeau is a prime minister. Well, is God, does God know me? Does God know me? Does God know me? People, people struggle with it. Even Christians struggle with this. You know why I know that? Because I did too. Even as a missionary on the 
mission field preaching the gospel of Jesus, preaching that God loves you in my heart of hearts. I was always wondering. I always used to wonder, does God really know what's going on, man? Does God really know what's going on in, in my life? That's why I was, on the weekend, I was telling, I was beginning to tell people that uh, when I first went to the airport church, one of the things that the prophetic word that came to me wasn't just amazing in, in and of itself, but what it spoke about was that God knew me. Like it hit my heart that God really knew me. He knew that I was supposed to be. The prophetic word was, brother, I don't know what it means, but I see you on a ship. And you're on the ship, and you're traveling from country to country and port to port, and you have the opportunity to preach the gospel to kings and queens and people in, in positions of power. The guy, had, the guy who said that to me had no clue because I had no physical um, representation of the fact that I'd just come, literally come, like a few days, just come from a ship. Part of which I was, one of my jobs was to go from country to country, port to port, meet with people who were who mayors and, and leaders of countries, and tell them about who we are as, as, as Christians. How could this man know this? The whole point of that was that as I'm driving home, I'm, reflect, I'm reflecting on this, and yes, the prophetic word was jazzy. It was amazing how, ooh, God could do stuff. But what it was really saying is that God was ministering to my heart because he was letting me know Ramesh, the one I've called by name. I know where you've just come from. I know that, I know that you're wondering if you have enough steam, if you have enough strength to go back, to do it again, to keep going. Long story, I was, I was on the verge of burnout and getting really tired. And so that word ministered life to me because it reminded me, even though I knew it in my, in my head because I read the book, but I didn't quite know it in my heart. And God actually knows me. He knows every single thing about you. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows the good stuff. He knows the bad stuff. He knows the ugly stuff. And He still loves you and cares for you and wants the very best for your life. We sang some amazing songs this morning. I hope you guys pay attention to the words you sing and not just enjoy the, 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 the melody. I mean, the, this, this pressing that we're going through. Some people are going through a pressing. And we're going through a pressing so that new wine can come out of our lives. The wine of the Holy Ghost, which is a mixture of the Holy Ghost and our yes to Jesus. That's the new wine. That's a beautiful blend. It's a beautiful Zinfandel. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a winemaker's trio. It's a beautiful blend of three glorious wines. Our faith in Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and whatever the third one is. You make it up. Shikabambo. Okay, everybody. It's almost uh, three minutes left. What else do I need to say to you before we go downstairs to eat? Why do we, why is it so important for us to share the good news? Why is it? Why is it important? Why is it important to be involved in outreach? Why? Why should we be doing outreach? Why don't we just huddle together on a Sunday morning and, and, and come to church, whether the weather is good or not, whatever, why do we just gather together and sing some beautiful songs and then we go home and have lunch on the way home and then have a nap like I plan to do when I go home? Why don't we just do that for the rest of our lives? Well, I give you two quick reasons. The first reason is this. I would say it's natural. 
It ought to be natural. It's natural. If something good happens in your life, if you get a new job, maybe you meet a girl and you like this girl and you're falling in love, uh, or you just bought a new watch. Oh my gosh, look at my lovely watch. Look, everybody, I got a lovely watch. The instinctive thing to do when something good happens in your life is to tell other people, especially the ones that are closest to you, you tell them, here's what's, going on, here's what's happening in my life. And you get to share the good news of your new fancy watch, which you bought on a cruise that, uh, you know, whatever. You share the stuff that's good in your life, don't you? Don't you not? Do you not? Well, if, 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 if Jesus has opened your eyes, if the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to see who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that is extraordinarily good news. And so it should be instinctive for us to want to share that with people, is it not? It should be natural. So I would say, therefore, that if it isn't happening, it is unnatural. And I understand it's more nuanced than that, that there's pushback and there's greater pressure, that nobody's going to shoot you if, you if you tell them your watch is nice, as opposed to if you tell them Jesus is alive and he, he wants your life, right? There's more pushback there. I understand that. But the fact is that it, it ought to be more, na it, has to, it, it needs to be moving us towards that. And not for one moment saying that we all have to become Bible-thumping, you know, uh, uh, people, you know, preaching on the streets and stuff like that. I'm saying that, that our orientation towards letting people know the good news. Listen, there's a story I just read this morning uh, in preparation for this. It's in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. I wouldn't take time to read it. We, have no, we don't have enough time. 2 Kings chapter 6. The Samaritans were uh, invading. Um, the Samaritans were being invaded. There were four lepers uh, at, the edge of the, at the edge of the city because they couldn't be part of the people. The law said, as a leper, you can't be part of the people. So they were on the, on the, on the edge of the city. And the invading army, which was, just a, was encamped all around, everybody was waiting for them to come and overrun them. Turns out that God was at work, and he scared the enemy away. Those four lepers, they said, if we're going to stay here at the edge of the city, we're going to die anyway. Let's go see if we can get some food from the, camp, from the enemy's camp. And so they went towards the, em the enemy's camp, 2 Corinthians, 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. They, they went there to, to the enemy's camp and they found that the enemy was gone and there was so much food and all the spoils left behind. And so they were enjoying it. But then they said, hey guys, they said to each other, hey guys, this is not right what we're doing. I'll read exactly what the verse says. Do I have it? There it is. Do you love the Bible app? Not now, people. I'm in the middle of a message. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Shalene. 
And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and they went and hid, and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, so they're having a great time. Verse 9, then they said to one another, what we are doing is not right. This day is a day of good news. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. What we are doing, enjoying all this beautiful feast, the fact that we can worship and have a great time together, we can, we can bless each other, we can have such a good time in, in God's presence. This is fantastic. But it's not right if we just keep it to ourselves. We are meant to share this with the rest of the community. The great Martin Luther, one of my heroes, I'm a small L, apparently I'm, I'm told I'm a small L Lutheran scholar because I spent some time reading Luther. I'm giving you guys way too many, way too many details about my life right now. But anyway, uh, Luther said this. He says evangelism or outreach is simply one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. And so as we approach this coming year and as we make a big emphasis, a stronger emphasis on outreach and telling people how to come to know Jesus, we will try to equip you as best as we can. But fundamentally, I want us to capture the virtue and the value of awakening to the fact that we are still on this planet, on this earth. We haven't gone to heaven quite yet. And the reason why we're still here it's because the Lord wants us to be like beggars, telling other beggars where to find bread. Because there's a world out there that's longing for the bread of life, aren't they? Are they not? Amen. Shall we stand and pray and then go eat? Make me a vessel. Make me a vessel. Holy Spirit, <sighs> is there anybody in this room who wants to have a, a deeper, I don't know, a deeper fire, a deeper, a deeper passion, a deeper hunger or longing to be a bright shining light, to be salt and light that, like Jesus said we were meant to be? Is anybody like that? If you are, just put your hand on your heart. And we'll just ask. We don't want to work anything up. We, want to, we just want to have, have the Holy Spirit come and stir us. Because that's going to be more fruitful anyway. If we try to make stuff up in our own flesh. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. Lord, would you dust off any kind of uh, uh, cobwebs, any kind of dullness has come across our heart come over our heart our mind where we know what we should be doing but we don't have the impetus to do it 
we ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and breathe on us afresh. Thank you for this amazing weekend we just had. Thank you for the power of your spirit at work. Thank you that we have, we do have good news, that you have overcome the enemy. Lord, you drive out the, the, the enemies in our lives. You set us free. We walk in a greater measure of wholeness and freedom because you've purchased us for us. But Lord, we know that there's a world out there that needs, needs the same thing that we just tasted. They need to know that there's a God who's real, who knows them. A God who, that we're accountable to. We will stand before you one day and give account for our lives. We thank you for Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. Lord, we ask that we would have the, the courage and the capacity to be witnesses. We're not just beggars, we're ambassadors. He, you have made us ambassadors. Declaring a message. That he who knew no sin became sin. So that, so that those who are sinners could be the righteousness of God. What an incredible thing you've done for us, Jesus. What a mind-boggling thing you've done for us. It would not be right for us to keep this to ourselves, especially when you've told us to go. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we say, once again, Jesus, we say yes to you. We say yes to your commandment. We say yes to your commissioning. And we ask that you would fill us and empower us and send us out to proclaim the reign of your kingdom in this day, in this hour. Lord, like the Moravians of yesteryear, we want you to receive the reward of your suffering. We want to be part of that, God. Help us play a part. We commit these things to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless the food. Make it nice and tasty and multiply it if it needs to be multiplied. And give us a great time of fellowship together. Amen.